You ever walk in the woods and you look at a tree uh, and wonder how it ended up getting that shape? Like you look at it and like, that's a weird shaped tree. You ever see those trees that just, they grow in strange places or they, they kind of have a strange shape or a strange direction to them. Trees are like that. You know, I've, I like to go out in the woods and hike and do different things. And I'm, I get just amazed at the way that nature can run its course and it allows a tree to grow in the strangest, oddest of places, in the strangest directions, in the, the strangest shapes. And you can look at these trees and you know that at some point, in the life of this, this tree, probably in its young life, this tree met some sort of obstacle. Perhaps an Indian hundreds of years ago purposely bent that tree to use it as a mark on a trail, and so it, it grew in a strange way. So a human being's desires may became that tree's obstacle. Or maybe some man left his junk around and a man's junk became the tree's obstacle, like that one that was growing out of a car hood there a minute ago. Or maybe it was just the course of nature that bent the shape of the tree. Or maybe go to that last tree there. Maybe it's like this last tree. Its biggest obstacle was that it had a complete lack of foundation or support. Yet it still found a way to grow. It still found a way to survive. The incredible thing about trees is their strength and their power to overcome obstacles when they grow. Whether it was caused by nature or by humans or by animals, whether the tree just keeps growing no matter what. In spite of the obstacles, life continues. Life can even thrive in spite of of the obstacles. And I want to start off this, this Sunday morning with this theme of grow, because I believe in 2019, this is a season of growing for you as an individual, but also for us as a church family. And God's desire is for us to be like these trees, not overcome by obstacles, but people of God who grow in spite of the obstacles. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this word grow. And I believe God wants to begin to pour into us the idea that we don't have to settle or succumb to the obstacles that life has brought to us. Maybe the obstacle isn't your fault at all. You had nothing to do with that problem that you faced or that difficulty that came toward you. Maybe it's someone else's doing in your own life. It doesn't matter. These trees did not bring about their own obstacles yet still they were able to grow and become strong. And we all have these obstacles, and they all look a little bit different for each one of us. At some point in this series, you're going to come face to face with some of the things that may have been hindering you or your family or a loved one. And you're going to have to face some things that you're allowing to hold you back from you growing into your full potential. And it's all going to revolve around this passage. The Romans 7, these first few verses are the launching pad. This is Paul writing and he says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The words of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray very quickly. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, 
that you have given us victory and that we can grow in spite of our obstacles. And not just this week, but for the next three weeks also, Lord, would you give us everything we need to grow in spite of obstacles that come along in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Every year in January, people will begin the year with an attempt to make a New Year's resolution. Anyone made one this year? No? You got one? Okay. Here's the thing. We make New Year's resolutions, but Forbes magazine says that 40% of people who make New Year's resolutions, or 40% of people make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% succeed in changing their behavior. And that most New Year's resolutions are blown and forgotten about by November 14th. So we got, we got eight days left. <laughs> There are many reasons, but the biggest one that we find that why we don't stick to our resolutions is found here in Romans 7. We look straight to the external behavior that needs to change. I need to eat right. I need to do things different. I need to go to the gym more. And we do the external behavior, but we often ignore the internal orientation of the heart that is the actual problem, that is the actual thing that produces our behavior. Paul says there is a power within me. He knows that it's a battle for the heart and the mind. He wants to do good, he says, but he struggles with something on the inside. And we all have areas like this in our lives. Things that we have somehow captivated us or taken us prisoner and now they are shaping us. They're guiding us and they're dictating our moods and our disposition toward people. And the good news of Jesus is that yes, life happens and things get crazy, but those things don't have to destroy you and they don't have to define you. You can grow above. You can grow beyond. You can grow over and away from the obstacles that life puts in your path. And we're going to look deep inside where we are in our life. And we're going to address the condition of our hearts and minds. And the things we are overcome are seldom comfortable. Uh, but to become mature followers of Christ, they have to be exposed. And then they have to be healed. You know, I'm thankful for this verse in the Bible where Paul says, I'm struggling and there's this power within me. And I, that when I see, want to do what's right, I seem to keep doing what's wrong because it's so honest and transparent that even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. And it makes me feel a little better about myself. And, and it's exactly how many of us feel. I want to do what's right, but sometimes I just don't feel like I can do what's right. And this verse is really talking about addiction. That's a strong word. Not one we use a lot of times when we just talk about everyday issues. But if we look cl closely, we'll see that in addition to obvious chemical dependence type issues that we talk about, addiction really touches almost all of us in some way or another. Listen, addiction is anything we're doing, but we can't stop doing. Addiction is anything we're doing that we can't stop doing. Addiction might be drugs or alcohol, but it could also be tobacco, pornography, it could be television, it could be sex, anger, gambling, uh, video games. You can be addicted to those. You could be addicted to work. You can be addicted to technology and to your smartphone. You can be addicted to caffeine. I might be addicted to caffeine. <laughs> you can be addicted to violence. You can be addicted to social media. Some of you are. You can be addicted to food or to shopping. 
addicted to sugar. Some people are addicted to plastic surgery. They just can't stop going to the doctor to fix something about themselves. Some people are addicted to risk. They, they're always taking risks. They need that adrenaline rush. Some are addicted to control. You can be addicted to relationships. You can be codependent and need relationships and need people to need you. That's an addiction. You can be addicted. It's possible. Some people are addicted to exercise where they destroy their bodies because they exercise so much because they want that endorphin rush and, and they want that dopamine rush in their lives. It's, depression is a form of addiction. Laziness is a form of addiction. Anxiety, worry, and fear can be forms of addiction. So most of us, if we kind of looked at this list here, we might say, okay, I, you know, I thought we were just talking about like, you know, the hard stuff here, Seth. But no, some of us can be addicted. All of us probably would fall somewhere in here where there's some things that we can't stop doing. You know, Katie and I last year, right after we got married, we didn't want to be that couple that put on like 40 pounds right after we got married, you know. And so we went on this diet. We, we did paleo diet. I don't know if you guys have heard of that before, but it's this whole thing about, you know, where you eat like a caveman did, only natural foods, no processed foods. You can eat tons of meat, though, so I loved that. Like, you can have meat all you want, but uh, you couldn't have like processed foods and no dairy and those kinds of things. And do you know the one thing that I struggled with the most in doing that? White bread. I would daydream about white bread after about three days of not having it. I just daydream about a loaf of bread that I wish I could have, you know. And so I, I realized I was, that stuff is addicting. And I found out that white bread's mostly sugar. And so that there's a lot of, it's probably sugar really that I was craving when I want. But it's easy to get into this place of addiction and not even know it. But addiction can become harmful and often does, and it has a cycle that we can recognize immediately. See if this looks familiar to you. First, addiction starts with a pleasurable taste. It starts with just trying, just experimenting it, just having it for the first time. That first draw on a cigarette or that first draw on a marijuana joint, those things that, oh, this, this is good, this feels good, I like this, I like how it tastes, I like how it makes me feel. But eventually it develops into a habit. It's something that we're doing regularly. And then eventually it could become a part of our identity. This is just the way I am. This is who I am. I, I, I am a, a social drinker. This is who I am. I am a smoker. This is who I am. I can't do anything about it. I, I just, I'm loud because I'm Italian. I'm just a meat and potatoes kind of guy. These things become just who we are. It becomes part of our identity. I worked with drug addicts for a long time, and this is one of the hardest things to overcome, that people begin to see themselves as a junkie. They begin to identify themselves as a pothead, as, a, as someone who enjoys marijuana, and they, they, their friends and their life revolves around it. It becomes part of your identity. But then the next step is, after it becomes part of your identity, when you try to stop and you fail because you can't, it become, I become increasingly hopeless. That's it. I tried quitting and it didn't work. This is just the way things are. I'm going to stay like this. You throw up your hands. These are the cards I've been dealt. Mom and dad were like this. I'm going to be just like it. My kids are probably going to be just like it. This is how it works. It becomes a part of your identity. And when you try to stop and you fail, there's this hopeless. This is just how it is. I'm going to always be a drunk. I'm always going to have to have this drink. I'm always going to have to have this cigarette. I'm always going to have to have this food. And eventually you begin to lose your life to this addiction. 
begin to miss out on opportunities and people start distancing themselves from you because you're toxic and your behavior has become toxic and you, you feel like you'll never reach your potential because all your energy is spent trying to address your own problems. And in this cycle of hopelessness and where your life is overcome by it, the thing is, is in order to ease the pain, you just go back to that same addiction and do it again to get some relief. All of this loss, it creates a type of pain that only seems to be relieved by returning to the thing that has you enslaved in the first place. The pain only goes away when you do it again. It only goes away when you do it more. And we justify it. We say, I just need to feel normal. I just need to have this because it makes me feel okay. And it makes me feel safe. And it makes me feel secure. But really what's happened is you are full-blown in addiction and using this now, and it's controlling your life. Addiction occurs when we seek to find our fulfillment and our satisfaction in anyone or anything other than the one who created us. Addiction occurs when we seek to find our fulfillment and our satisfaction in anyone or anything other than the one who created us. So we're not talking just about drugs or alcohol here, folks. You could be addicted to a relationship where that now that boyfriend or that girlfriend is the one defining you, or you could be addicted to your job, and now that's defining you, and, and you can't even take any time off. You're always stuck on your phone looking at what's going on at work and worried about that, and you're ignoring life around you. It's much more than just the, the things that we obviously say are addiction. So how do we change the cycle? How do you break the cycle of addiction? The answer is not a change in just behavior. There's a lot of people that have tried that. They've just said, I'll just have some behavior modification. I'll put a rubber band on my wrist, and every time I think about it, I'll snap my rubber band to remind me not to think. All those kinds of external things. But none of those will work. In order to break the cycle of addiction, there has to be a change of heart. You've got to dig deeper because addiction is not actually the problem. Addiction is a symptom that there is something a lot bigger going on. In the inward issue of addiction, is idolatry. Another strong word. You can say, I, I don't worship other gods. I'm not an idol worshiper. I'm, I don't practice idolatry. But an idol is anything that is placed in such importance above anything else, so important that it drives our behavior. That's an idol. It changes who we are. An idol sets the tone for our lives. See, whatever is on the throne, we worship. And whatever we worship, we serve. And whatever we serve, we will eventually become a slave to. You know, the most common idol in this generation is idol to self. We put ourself on the throne and we worship our own self and our own abilities and our own our own uh, accomplishments. And we we become even addicted to our self image and looking good. And so we got to get the right angle for the selfie we're going to take. And we got to make sure that everyone on social media sees how good we made ourselves out to be. And we become even addicted to ourselves. Isaiah 44, that's the passage I forwarded you to. It says this. I love this passage in the New Living Translation. That prophet, he says, how foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen 
mere humans who claim they can make a god. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and in shame. The people who worship idols don't know this. He's saying, you can be an idolatrous person and not even realize it. You can, you can be stuck in idolatry. You can be stuck in addiction and not even know that you're engaged in idolatry and how hopeless it really is. Skip down a little bit to verse 15 of Isaiah 44. He's talking about people who make idols. And he says, he uses part of the wood to make a fire. And with it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of the wood and he makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. And he says, oh, that fire feels good. And then he takes what left and he makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. See, what he's saying here is even some addictions can start with something good, something useful, like wood for a fire. But eventually, now that you've got fire from it, even people in ancient days, they would start to worship the wood that provided fire for them. How foolish is that? I like how it makes me feel. And so even if, though it's a good thing and a good resource, now I'm going to make it an idol in my life and something that I'm going to worship and be enslaved to. And then in verse 18, he says, their eyes are closed and they can't see. Their minds are shut and they can't think. The person who made this idol never stops to reflect. This is just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? These poor, deluded fools feed on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he can't bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Isn't that a description of addiction? When you look at it and say, okay, it could start with something even potentially good. And then I I like what it does for me. And so then I I begin to serve that thing. And it begins to rule and control my life to the point that now I'm worshiping it. And I'm, I'm giving it credit for everything that's going on in my life. And I'm giving it control over my life. And then it says I'm sitting here and I can't even see what's really happening. My eyes are closed and I can't see. My mind is shut to reality. And now I'm holding something that I'm worshiping and it can't even do anything for me. I worked with drug addicts for seven years. I know for sure that they can look at that joint in their hand and they think that that's got the key to everything they need in their life. If they can just have more or they can have a better type or they can have have a different type, that that's going to be what's going to give them the fulfillment that they need. But really, it's just something that they're burning up. And really, it's harming them the whole time. And it's true. This verse 18, their eyes are closed and their minds are shut to anything else. They don't even realize they're stuck. They don't even realize they're in addiction. Ask ask yourself the same thing looking at this. Is this idol I'm holding in my hand a lie? Is this thing that that I, I just talk about like I just something I enjoy or something that I'm in control of? Is it really an idol to me? Is it consuming my life? If I decided to put it down and never come back to it, would I be able to or am I dependent on it? Now, if we stopped right there with this cycle of addiction and what addiction can do and how addiction is really idolatry, this would be a real bummer of a sermon. Like, we're just stuck here, you know? 
But we have to know how to exchange the idol that we have and the addiction for what God has best for our lives. We have to return this thing that we weren't meant to have and exchange it for something better. We grow past addiction by returning the idolatry and returning the addiction and exchange. See, you can't just get rid of addiction. You have to replace it with something else. You can't just get rid of a bad behavior or a bad habit. You have to replace it with something else. Matthew chapter 17, very familiar story. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. See, the son is controlled by something other than God. He's no longer able to act on his own. He can't control what's happening to him. He's under some kind of influence, and the disciples didn't know what to do about it. And then it says later, Jesus says, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you, and how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And it says, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Jesus described this generation, the disciples, he said, were unbelieving and perverse. Unbelieving means not connected enough to God. You're trying to do things without God. You're going it alone. You tried to tackle this issue by yourself, on your own. You've lost faith. You haven't been connected to the true source. And then perverse means too connected to the world. So unconnected from God and too connected to the world. You're looking for your answers in what you know. You're looking for your answers in the natural. Your direction is coming from culture and society around you and what's socially acceptable and not from God. You're being guided by something other than God. So unbelieving, unconnected from God, and perverse, too connected to the world. And in order to do this, in order to overcome this, you have to dethrone the idol and the addiction in your life. And how do you do this? Jesus says, the disciples, or the disciples came to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we drive this demon out? Why couldn't we overcome this obstacle? Why couldn't we help this boy? Why couldn't we do it? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus said this kind, this addiction, this idolatry, this life-controlling issue, it only comes out by prayer and fasting. This kind of thing that is controlling you and dictating how you are and who you are and the thing that has a grip on you, it comes out by only prayer and fasting. So they're unbelieving, disconnected from God, perverse, too connected to the world. Prayer does what? It connects you to God. And fasting does what? It disconnects you from the world. Fasting grows us from the dependence on the world. It's crucifying the flesh. It goes back to Romans 7 and 8 like we were talking about a moment ago. If you want to see the addictions of your life defeated, if you want to grow past addiction, set your mind and your heart on prayer and fasting. Prayer connecting to God. Fasting disconnecting from the world. Henry Cloud wrote in a great book, How People Grow. He said this. He said, most of us don't want changed lives. We just want changed situations. 
See, but addiction's just the symptom. The way you get changed from addiction is to change the inner problem, the deeper problem, the idolatry of the heart. And if you really want change, you've got to want a changed life, not just changed behavior. Prayer grows us closer to God. That equals a changed life. Fasting disconnects us from the world and from culture and society and the, the things around us that are holding us and hindering us. And it grows us closer to God. Are we praying for God's presence? Or are we praying that he would just change our situation? I, I've seen some people, I've known people, I, my grandmother actually, she was delivered from addiction miraculously in an instant at, a, at an altar. Like she never went back to cigarettes. She, just, she had smoked for years and went to an altar and the Lord touched her. And from that moment, she never touched one, didn't want one, never struggled with it. Some people get that. And that's awesome. But there are the other people I don't know why God does this. I think maybe because he, he knows some people need to work for it to value it a little more. But they have to work for their sobriety. They have to work for their, for their, uh, their addiction to be overcome. It's work for them. It's not this, this one moment at an altar. It's repeated moments at an altar. It's repeated moments in prayer. It's repeated moments of self-denial. And so when we're talking about it, I I believe in those instantaneous, miraculous situations. I've seen them. I've experienced them. I know them to be true. But many of us in this room, it's hard work. But it's work that the Holy Spirit could influence and lead us and guide us in. And we could say, you know what? I don't want just my situation to be changed. I want my life to be changed. I want God's presence in my life. And we get all these things in life that we don't really want. And the good news is, though, that God promises us that he can grow us in spite of our obstacles and in spite of our addiction. We can grow past addiction in our lives. It doesn't have to always define us or control us. Just a few encouragements from Scripture here. The Bible says that if we trust Him, He tells us His promises are faithful. His promises are yes and amen. He says that if you bring me your impossible situation, I'll grow you to a place where the impossible can become possible. He says if you bring me your heart of stone in Ezekiel, I'll grow inside of you a new heart of flesh. He says if you bring me your needs in Philippians, He says I will exchange them for my riches in glory. If you come to me, He says, and confess your sins. He promises to return with faithfulness and righteousness and he will forgive our sins and grow us to a place of cleansing and purity and wholeness. He said in Psalm, bring me your sin. He says, and I will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. He promises in Proverbs that he will have a listening ear and he will grow you into a person who has peace and freedom from fear and from harm. In Micah, he says, I will exchange your guilt for blamelessness by casting your sea into the sea your sin into the sea of forgetfulness he promises us that if we come to him with our fears he will develop inside of us a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind he said in Isaiah that if you bring me the ashes of your life I will turn them into something beautiful he said in Acts that if you come to me in repentance and you're baptized in the name of Jesus in exchange I will give you the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and Malachi he says if 
you give him the tithe, the first fruits of your labor, that he will give you back a blessing that the windows of heaven can't contain. He says if you take your burdens to him and your cares to him, he will give you a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. In Joel, he says that if you return to him in weeping and fasting and repentance, he will give you a great restoration. He will make the fields of our lives grow rich. I will send you grain, he says. I will send you new wine. I will drive away the armies that oppress you. I will repay you for the years that have been stolen from you. In James, he says, if you come to me with your ignorance, I will make you mature and I will grow you in wisdom. And if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And God who gives all generously and without reproach will give you wisdom. He promises that when we come to him with our temptations, with our struggles, that he will exchange it for a way out in victory. He said in Jeremiah, he said, if you give me your sickness, I'll exchange it for healing. That I'm the Lord that heals thee. In Psalm, he said, give, God says, give me your mourning and I will exchange it for dancing. He says, so with tears of sorrow and I will give grace to grow a harvest in your life. He says, you'll sow in tears, but you'll reap with shouts of joy. If you return to him in trust and obedience, he says he will guide you and direct your path. He promises that when you come to him with prayer and thanksgiving, that he will grow and multiply you inside of you a peace that passes all understanding. If you turn to him with fear and with reverence, he says he'll give you a blessing and he'll grow you to a place that you will lack no good things. Psalm 34, Isaiah, when you're weak and tired, God says, come to me and I will give you power. I'll give power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And when you're weak, he'll give you new strength, strength to rise and soar like the eagle. Isaiah also says, give me your addictions and the things that keep you in slavery, and I will give you an anointing that is strong enough to break the yoke of bondage. Revelation, he says, if you endure to the end and you trust in him, that on the great day of restoration, there is a tree growing in that city and that he will wipe away every tear and the leaves and the fruit of that tree provide healing for the nations and there'll be no more death or grieving or pain or sorrow for all old things have passed away and he's making all things new. And he said in John, if you bring to me your broken and spiritually dead life, he will start the process of growing new life in you. And he said, he is the resurrection, he is the life and anyone who believes in him shall not die in their addiction shall not stay in their bondage but they shall live a life of freedom forevermore that first passage i read from paul romans 7 he said the things i don't want to do i end up doing and the things i do want to do i end up not doing he even said what a miserable man i am who will set me free from this life of sin of chains, of addiction, of slavery. How do we overcome addiction? How do we overcome bondage? How do we grow past addiction? Luckily, Paul doesn't stop there and just say, oh, I'm so miserable, I can't ever get anything right. Everything I try, he doesn't stop with that. The next verse, actually, he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, it begins and it says, so now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
Then he says, so what God, what God did, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us a son as a sacrifice for our sins. So stop there for just a moment. He's, he's saying, he's going through, Paul is writing, he says, you know what, guys? I'm struggling too. There's some things in my life that I'm still in bondage to. There's still some things, even when I want to do what's right, and he says, I know my heart's pure, and I know I have a desire to do what's right. There's still those times where I still do what's wrong. Even when I know it's wrong to do, and I know that I shouldn't do it, I still sometimes end up doing it. Every addict I've ever talked to could say the same thing. Most people who recognize where they are in addiction want out, but then they can't find a way to get out. And so Paul is saying, he says, you know what? I've been there. And he says, it makes you feel miserable. This cycle can make you feel miserable. It can make you feel lower than dirt. Oh, what a miserable wretch I am. Who will deliver me from this, he says. And then the next verse, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the life giving power of the Spirit has set me free from the bondage of sin. See, a lot of people read that first part and they stop there and they say, see, you just have to live that way. Even Paul lived that way. We're, you, you're, you're stuck. Even the Bible says that even when you want to do what's right, you can't do what's right. No, you got to read the next few verses. He says, yes, yes, all of us are there, but it doesn't stop there. You've got to keep reading. He says, you know what though? God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, a life-giving spirit that has the power to set us free from bondage. How do you tap into that life-giving spirit? You disconnect from the world and you connect to God. How do you disconnect from the world? You fast. You start to train your body in how to say no to the natural. And how do you connect to God? Through prayer. I don't mean just you pray like over your food. I'm talking about you are in communication with the Lord Jesus Christ on a real and deep level every day of your life. So here in a few weeks, we'll be calling a church-wide fast, and I'm going to ask you to fast with us. But um, you can start today, and you can say, you know what? I need, to start, I need to start disconnecting from these things in my life. If you, you, you might say, I'm not an addict, like I'm not doing drugs or anything like that, but there might be some other things in your life that you say, you know what, I just can't seem to shake this. It might even be gossip. It might even be negative talk or, or negativity in your workplace that you need to deal with or that kind of thing. How do you do, how do you battle these things? Start disconnecting from the world and using that time to connect to God. Fasting is nothing more than training your body for how to say no to temptation. If at the very, I'm not talking, you know, people do social media fasts and stuff like that, and those are cool, but real fasting is when you say, I'm not going to eat. (laughs) That is a real fast, and there is something spiritual about it when you can tell your most basic desires no and say, I'm going to connect to God instead. That builds up your spirit, man. That builds up the inner man inside of you to say no when things really get tough. And it says, you know what, I, I gotta, I'm going to say no to what I think I need and connect to what I really need. And when you do that, it creates space in your life for that life-giving spirit to come in 
and give you the power you need to overcome that bondage in your life. How do I grow past addiction? Disconnect from those things that don't matter and connect to the one who has the life-giving spirit that can deliver me from bondage.